For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the enemy's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand firm. Genesis Church. Uh, we want to welcome you and thank you for coming out today. My name is Paul Mumaw, and uh, whether you had to slide down your driveway or skate in through the parking lot this morning, thanks for braving the, the slick roads as we start a brand new series today called uh, The Unseen War. And uh, kind of with that in mind, and maybe by a show of hands, how many of you are ready to declare war on the flu? All right. Uh, anybody ready to declare war? We've heard enough about the flu. All right. They talk about it on the news or talking about it at school. For some of you, it's had its way in your home. And, uh, and so maybe for some of you this morning, you don't need to declare war on the flu because you're already in the thick of it, right? You've got people down uh, in your home, men and women and children that are down. They're dropping left and right all around you. Uh, you've called in the reinforcements in some cases just to help out with the battle. For others of you, uh, it's all about prevention or holding the line, right? You're just, you're holding the ground and so you're disinfecting on the hour, every hour, uh, Lysol bombs if necessary around the house. You've been willing to burn bed sheets if you need to. All right, we do anything we can to make our homes a safe place. I'm thankful and grateful to say the Moomaws have avoided it so far, but we've been kind of wondering, you got that soldier when you came in today, if everybody should maybe just get one of these when you walk into the room uh, instead. But uh, no, as we start this new series today, I think you'll be relieved to know that it's not a series on influenza A or B or anything like that, but uh, rather a series of study on the unseen. Uh, a series about the supernatural forces that are all around us. But here's the interesting thing. There really are similarities between the two. Like even if you think about it, you know, as you think about things like germs and bacteria and viruses, uh, we don't see these things, yet we all know they exist uh, at the very same time. Well, in the same way, Scripture shows us that there's more to this physical world than what we just simply can touch and uh, see and, and hear that, well, there's more going on around us than we realize. And so this series, these next few weeks, uh, are all about opening our eyes to the spiritual realm. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to be discussing uh, some pretty important things, interesting topics like angels and demons and Satan and where he came from. 
But more importantly, because we're at war and because we're all soldiers in it, we're gonna learn together how we can put on the full armor of God and live by the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can fight against the powers of darkness and evil in this world. Now, before we jump into this series this morning, I think it's important that we try and uh, lay some ground rules, if you would, for this series, maybe set some expectations of sorts. And right from the start, I want to just acknowledge that we all come from uh, different vantage points when it comes to the topic of the unseen realm of angels and of demons. Like some of you might have been taught that there was an angel around every corner and there was a demon under every rock. Uh, For others of you, Uh, Well, maybe you've never really thought about it at all, or you haven't at least taken the time to consider how this works. And so there are the two extremes, really, but one of the resources our teaching team uh, has been learning and studying from together for this series is a book by a guy guy by the name of Chip Ingram, a book called The Invisible War. It's a, a resource that I've noted on your sermon notes page this morning. If you'd like to do some more extensive studying on this topic, that would be one resource that I would recommend to you. But I like what pastor and writer Chip Ingram has to say about this unseen war. He says, the danger is this. The danger as we approach the topic is to think that on the one hand, the one extreme, that everything bad that happens in your life or in this world uh, is as a result of Satan or as a result of his demons, or the other extreme would be to say that nothing has to do with Satan and his demons. And so here's what we want to do. As we move forward together in this series, we don't want to go too far to either extreme. Rather, we want to study the Word of God. All right, because we want the Bible to be our source of truth and evidence and guidance for us. And we want to be careful at the same time not to give the dark forces of this world more credit than they deserve. But at the same time, and I think it's wise for us to have a healthy respect and understanding for evil and the chaos it's capable of having or creating in our lives. And, and maybe more than anything, let's not forget, even as we start this series today, let's not forget what our Savior Jesus had to say about the presence of good and evil in this world. In John chapter 10, verse 10, it was Jesus that said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. All right, and here we find Jesus speaking very plainly about the reality of good and evil in the world. All right, evil's goal is to steal, kill, and destroy. All right, you need to know that. All right, even as we think about the evil one, as we think about Satan and his demons, that the evil one, his goal is to kill and steal and destroy, but Jesus, he came to bring us life. He, he, he came to bring us victory and hope and to demonstrate for us how life is to be lived well and right here on this earth. And so today really is all about opening our eyes. Today is an introductory, again, of this series. It's about opening our eyes to what's going on around us, what's going on around you in your life right now. But I also want to briefly examine a topic with you that some of you uh, might be curious about, but maybe never did much much study about, and that is the subject of angels. All right, and so if you've got a Bible with you today, I want to invite you to take it and turn to 2 Kings chapter 6. It's in the Old Testament, about midway through your your Old Testament, 2 Kings chapter 6, or page 256 if you want to use one of the Bibles around the room. And as you're turning there, as we think about angels today, get this, New Testament professor, get this guy's name, Andy Angel, all right? I'm not pulling your leg, all right? His name really is Andy Angel, and I think if you're a New Testament 
theologian and your last name is Angel, you have to have something to say about angels. And he does. He writes about it. He studies it. But here's what he says. He says, you know, belief in God, all right, is generally socially acceptable, acceptable, but even among religious people, there can be something of an embarrassment surrounding the subject of angels. And I think we kind of get that a little bit, the mysterious, this, this topic of angels and where they come from and how do they fit in? Do we even see them in scripture? I sort of get it. And he, he, he says, you know, we, for us, we're not sure what to think. Right? We're not sure what to do with these sort of things. Again, does the Bible have anything to say about them? We'll get this. According to a 2016 Gallup poll, here's what Americans think about angels. 72% of adults believe in angels. That might represent some of you today. 12% are unsure, and 16% confidently deny their existence. And so I'm not sure where you come from on this topic, but maybe let's answer two questions, or maybe two questions emerge for us this morning. Number one is, what do I I know or believe to be true of angels, all right? And the second one would be then, what does it even matter, all right? Does, does it even matter? And so let, let's examine these a little bit along the way. Regardless of what you know or believe to be a true about spiritual warfare and angels, I want to invite you to follow along in this historical account, this story. I want, uh, it, it's in here in the Old Testament in 2 Kings, again, in chapter 6. We're going to uh, encounter two people in particular. One man uh, who appears to be very unaware of the spiritual realm, and then the other is very aware of this reality, again, that there is more going on then we can see it. Let me establish some context for you before we get into Second uh, Kings six, uh, just so you kind of understand. The king of Aram, all right, is at war with the king of Israel. And for those of you that appreciate geography, just to give you a picture of this, the kingdom of Aram would be what we know as uh, modern day Syria. Okay, and then you see the kingdom of Israel on the map here. Uh, the Sea of Galilee would be that body of water, kind of the medium-sized body of water, uh, kind of in the upper third of this particular slide. But again, the king of Aram, all right, is tormenting, is the tormentor of the kingdom of Israel. And every time the king of Aram looks to make a move or an attack, the Israelites are somehow able to outsmart him thanks to the help of a prophet by the name of Elisha, all right, S-H-A, all right, this is the prophet Elisha, and this happens time and time again. And so grab your Bibles, if you would, again, 2 Kings chapter 6, starting in verse 8, here's what we read. Now the king of Aram was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such and such a place. So he's devising his plan. They're ready to make their move on Israel once again. Verse 9, the man of God, all right, and in this case, we meet our prophet. This is Elisha, and you could read that if you kind of read this in its larger context. But the man of God sent word to the king of Israel, beware of passing that place, because the Arameans are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God. Time and again, Elisha warned the king so that he was on guard in such places. Verse 11, this enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, tell me, which of us is on the side of the king of Israel? Basically, somebody's leaking our moves, all right? There's a, a rat, there's a snake in the camp here or something, all right? They replied to him, verse 12, none of us, my lord the king, said one of his officers, but Elisha, The prophet who is in Israel tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom, which is not awkward at all, right? All right, this guy's wondering what in the world. 
but it kind of makes you wonder who Elisha is and how he has been given this ability to do what he's able to do. Verse 13, the king of Aram says, go find out where he is so I can send men and capture him. And then the report came back. He is in Dothan. I think it's actually Dothan. Verse 14, then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. Verse 15, we meet our first key individual. It says, when the servant of the man of God, and so this is a servant to Elisha, got up and went out early the next morning. Notice what happens. An army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh, no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Quick question as we stop there for just a moment. Have you ever found yourself in a similar situation in life? Maybe an approaching army of sorts that has surrounded you and you think to yourself, I have nowhere to go, not sure what to do in this given moment. Like maybe you feel like the walls are coming in, maybe uh, crumbling down around you. You're facing something in your life. There's a fear and there's a threat and you're not sure how to proceed or how to escape. Like maybe for some of you this morning, it's a, it's a medical situation. Uh, in your home or in your family. And maybe it's not you, but maybe it's somebody that you love. And so there are tests that are coming up or maybe the test results have already been received. And from what you know, it will change your life or their life forever. And you, you know the fear that can kind of grip you, the fear of uncertainty uh, in that moment. Maybe, maybe it's a, a work-related issue right now. And maybe work, the industry is just sort of spiraling out of control for you and your boss wants answers, but there are no answers. And so things are changing. There's meetings all over the place and you're not sure what the future looks like for you. Maybe, maybe this morning some of you are a student and uh, man, you know the challenges and the pressures of being a student in this world today and living for the Lord and managing the schoolwork. And in addition to the schoolwork, you've got an activity, you've got a sport that you're involved in. And so that, well, those are big demands. Maybe you're looking at colleges and you're thinking about those next steps and at the same time working a job and trying to pay for a car and just kind of provide for some of your needs and you feel the intense pressure. Uh, maybe it's your marriage right now. And maybe there's some news that's been learned in your home and, well, it's not only impacting you and your spouse, but your kids, or maybe, maybe even you're a kid and you look at your parents' marriage right now and you're not sure where it's going and you wonder to yourself, can it possibly get any worse? If you've been through a mess, if you find yourself in a mess, uh, in a moment of fear today, then you can probably relate at least to a degree with Elisha's servant here. You can see the armies. You feel the tension. There's uncertainty around you, and you feel trapped with nowhere to go, nowhere to run, and you're not sure how you're going to get through. Please note Elisha's next words. Look what he says in verse 16. Don't be afraid. Look what he says. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. And then this. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. All right, not fear, but faith. All right, fear doesn't come from the Lord. Fear comes from the evil one. And Elisha calls his servant out. He calls him out, all right? He prays, all right? Verse 17 again, and Elisha prayed. And let's note this, there is nothing greater than you and I that we can do. All right, when we find ourselves in those moments, all right, when we're facing that pressure, again, when the fear of uncertainty is, well, it's threatening to cripple us, notice that Elisha prays. 
Again, the best thing that you can do, no matter what you go through, time and time again, is to return to the Lord, to turn to God in prayer every time. Verse 17, and Elisha prayed, and look what he prayed. He prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see, and then look what the Lord did. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes. And he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. You know, at the moment when the circumstances seemed so hopeless, when they seemed so impossible, again, Elisha prayed. God answered his prayer. And in doing so, the Lord opened the eyes in a new way to the servant so that he was able to see and not just see the presence of the gathered enemy army, but now also the company of an invisible angelic army positioned and ready to fight on behalf of the kingdom of Israel. For a moment, the invisible became visible. We're not going to return to that story today, but I'd recommend that you check out the rest of it on your own. But here's what I want to do. I want to push pause from the story for just a moment, and I want to ask three hopefully helpful questions about angels. Questions like, where do they come from? Uh, Who are they, and what do they do? And so the first question is just simply this, where do angels come from? All right, what do we know about them from Scripture And where do they come from? Look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Probably a familiar passage to you. Uh, Genesis 1, verse 1 records, In the beginning, God created, notice what he created, the heavens, all right, and the earth. All right, notice that God created both the heavens and he created the earth. I've been reading another book along the way. It's listed on your sermon notes too. Uh, It's a book called The Hum of Angels by Scott McKnight. He's a New Testament professor as well at Northern Seminary in Lombard, Illinois. Here's what he has to say about angels. He says, the Bible's cosmology is that God created the earth and the heavens. He populated the earth with what we would call visible earthly creatures, humans included, but this, he also made the heavens and populated the heavens with what are to us in visible heavenly creatures. Now, most of these creatures, as McKnight points out, are good. These would be those that we refer to as angels, but some turned out to be not so good. Those would be Satan and his demons, and we'll talk a little bit more about those next week. But for now, let's focus on what Elisha's servants saw. These would be the angels, which raises the next question, who are they? All right? And let me just ask you, what do you think of when you think of angels? Because there's a fascination with uh, kind of um, the mysterious today, certainly in movies and publications and different forms of media. It's not uncommon to see uh, angels painted onto Christmas greeting cards especially. Uh, Maybe you think of something like this when you think of angels, right? You know, uh, probably the two biggest little angels Uh, around Genesis today, right? That's a scary photo, isn't it? And I'm going to ask you to take it down so that everybody pays attention and takes us seriously moving forward. But uh, the truth is that there's so many misconceptions about angels. You know, a lot of people think that you become one when you go to heaven. You've probably heard something like that shared at a funeral before. But the fact is this, there's no evidence in Scripture that we become angels. In fact, one of the most important things to know about angels is that angels are not people, all right? And people are not angels. But here's what we do know from scriptures, that that angels are created beings, all right? That God created the angels so that uh, they're as perfect as any created created being can be. They They are supernatural, but they're not divine, all right? 
Let's not be confusing. They're, they're supernatural. They are not God. Angels are not God, but they play an important role in the spiritual realm. In fact, the word angel in the Hebrew Old Testament and the Greek New Testament just simply means messenger. All right, if you translate the word, it means messenger. That's the simplest definition. However, they're given a variety of different titles throughout Scripture, such as uh, the holy ones or uh, referred to as the heavenly host, those uh, think worshipers of God. Uh, they're the armies of heaven, certainly as we see in the Second Kings 6 passage. So uh, they, they have a defending sort of a role. And in Genesis and Job, they're referred to as the sons of God. But what do they do? Uh, what are their, what, what, what's their role Uh, in this unseen uh, realm. Well, angels are beings created by God for worship and sent by God to fulfill his purposes in this world. In Hebrews chapter one, verse 14, we read, uh, are not all angels ministering spirits uh, sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? So here's what I wanna do just kind of briefly. I think you can sort of sum up the role of angels, these created beings, uh, with three primary purposes. And these aren't in your notes, so if you want to write this down, you can kind of sum up their work in three words. Uh, They're here on the screen. The words protect, provide, and proclaim. Angels are sent by God to protect. Angels are sent by God to provide. Angels are sent by God to proclaim. Let me show you some examples of this when it comes to the word protect. You know the story of Daniel in the lion's den, all right? One of the great stories that even as a kid you might learn if you spend some time around the church. Well, in Daniel chapter 6, verse 22, when Daniel emerged unharmed from the lion's den and he was asked how he survived, look what he said. He said, my God sent his angel and he shut the mouth of the lions. Or we read over in Psalm 91, verses 9 through 12. Look at these great words. If you say, the Lord is my refuge, and you make the most high your dwelling, no harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent. For look what God will do. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. And so angels are sent by God to protect. Uh, they're also sent by God to provide. All right, remember the account of Jesus after he was baptized. He went into the wilderness where he fasted and then he was tempted by Satan for 40 days. And so he faced the temptations of Satan. But once Satan left him, Matthew 4.11 records, then the devil left him and look what happened. And angels came and attended him. Now the word for attended here in the Greek is the same word to describe someone who comes uh, to serve food to someone else. And so Jesus prayed... Uh, He relied on the promises of God throughout these 40 days in the wilderness. And what was God's response? He sent angels to Jesus, which makes sense in that Jesus had been fasting for 40 days, all right? And so they came to attend to him and to his needs. But it can also mean someone who just simply comes to attend to the spiritual needs of someone else. Both work, all right, in the case of Jesus. And so angels are sent by God to provide. And then finally, angels are sent by God to proclaim. All right, they come with a message. They come to proclaim. Read the story of Daniel, all right, in the Old Testament book of Daniel. And you'll see Daniel's commitment, uh, his discipline of prayer. Daniel prayed over and over again. It is what guided him through some very difficult times. And in Daniel chapter 9, Daniel prays and an angel brings a message from God to him. In Matthew 1 and 2, it was an angel that was sent to proclaim the birth of Jesus to Mary, Joseph, and the shepherds. In Luke chapter 1, an angel was sent to proclaim the birth of John the Baptist. And let's look at this passage together for just a moment. In Matthew chapter 28, 
All right, I think you'll recognize the event. Matthew chapter 28, uh, starting in verse 1, look what Matthew records about this time after the crucifixion. It says, after the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. The tomb, of course, is the tomb of Jesus. Verse 2, there was a violent earthquake, for look at this, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. Verse 5, look at the proclamation here. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. That's a past event, but he is not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay, and then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. And then just some days later in Acts chapter 1, when Jesus ascends into heaven, two angels appear to the disciples and proclaim that Jesus will return one day from heaven in the same way they saw him and experienced him leaving the earth. Scott McKnight does a great job of just kind of summing up their role with this. Here's what he says about the role of angels. He says, so the download for us is this. When an angel speaks, it's God speaking. When an angel acts, it is God acting. When an angel comforts, it is God comforting. The angels are sent by God to represent God. Why do the angels exist? They were created by God. They were sent to protect, to proclaim, to provide, but they represent God. They are another way of representing God here on this earth and in your life and in my life. And why does it matter? Like, what's it matter? What's the big deal? Why is it important for us to understand that there's an unseen realm and angels in it and others? Well, it's because of this. Like Elisha and his servant, you and I are at war too. We're at war. Uh, here and on this earth and in this earth. And it's way too easy for us at times to uh, look at the physical issues in our lives. And these physical issues can so blind us to the spiritual realities, this unseen war that is at work in this world. And, and let me say this, and I want to say this very clearly. Certainly there are things that we experience in this life that are simply the product of living in a broken world. All right? At, at the same time, there are things that we face there are consequences that we must endure because of our own personal choices. And so we don't just blame anything and everything on Satan and his demons. But get this, and I think we need to consider what Chief Ingram says here, and he says it so well. He says, at the same time, when we go through difficult circumstances and we get to thinking that the problem is our spouse or the problem is our boss or one of our kids, but what we fail often, so often to realize is that behind those things, there's an arch enemy that wants to use those circumstances to distract us, to discourage us, and even destroy us. You see, the reality is that we are at war. We're at war. And so when you came in today, you were probably wondering, why in the world did I get a cheap little toy? And uh, if you've got one of these soldiers, these army soldiers, I want to just invite you to take it out now if if you've got it laying there near you and maybe just kind of hold it in your hand. Mine has a bazooka. I'm not sure uh, what your soldier is up to, but I want you to hold it in your hand for just a moment. Maybe take a good look at it. 
And what I want more than I, I want this to remind you today, and just based on what we're talking about here this morning, that we're at war. That you find yourself in the midst of a war, and this unseen war is unfolding all around us in so many sizes, shapes, and forms, and this unseen war has eternal implications. Uh, your life is at stake. There are other lives that are at stake. Souls are at stake. Satan is the enemy. Again, as Jesus said, his goal is to steal, kill, and destroy. And so his role is to destroy God's people, to discredit the cause of Christ. He is not to be taken lightly. He is real. But the good news is that we don't have to fear him. We don't have to be afraid of him. And so this week, what I want to challenge you to do is is maybe to take even just this cheap little toy and maybe put it somewhere where you'll see it. Somewhere in your home, maybe in your car or your office, maybe you need to put it on that shelf in your locker or in your dorm room or something. And just to be a visible reminder this week that there's more going on around you than we sometimes are able to see. And then this, and just like Elisha prayed for his servant's eyes to be open, maybe we pray too that God would open our eyes. Maybe part of your prayer, maybe something that you pray today is that even just God would open your eyes to these things around us. And opening our eyes to see this, they're in your notes if you want to write this down. The first thing is this, that the battle is real. There's a very real battle. Uh, Look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. We're going to look at these verses a little more in depth next week. But the Apostle Paul writes, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And so just like Elisha and his servant, there are forces of good and evil at work all around us at the very same time. And today we looked at those who were sent by God, who are fighting for us, fighting on behalf of the Lord and for us, and next week we'll take a little closer look at the enemy and the forces of evil that oppose us. But the battle, the battle is very real. The second thing is this, you can know and be encouraged that you're not fighting alone, that I'm not fighting alone. And if there's one thing to learn from Elisha's story, it's this, that God is in control. All right, he is in control of this world, and and he sends his messengers, all right, to work on our behalf for his purposes, in our lives, all right? He, he has a plan. He is working for his purposes, and that should give us confidence. And I pray that would give you confidence today, again, that no matter what you're going through, no matter what you're facing today, that you're not fighting alone. And I think about the words of David in Psalm chapter 23 when he says, you know, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. And I want you to know this morning that he is with you. And that he is with us. And no matter what you're facing today, you don't have to go through this alone. And let's be reminded of this. The third thing is that my strength, your strength is in Jesus Christ. If you put your hope in the Lord, if your trust and your faith is in Jesus Christ, then your strength comes from him. And he has promised to give strength to us, the strength that we need. The Apostle Paul said it like this in Ephesians 6, 10. He says, so finally be strong in the Lord. Right? Not in what you can do on your own, not in what you can conjure up for yourself, all right? and just simply push through, but he says you find your strength in the Lord and in his mighty power. See, everything looked different once the servant of Elisha was able to open up his eyes to see, and the same is true for us, that no matter what battles we're facing, we don't have to be afraid. 
And maybe part of the encouragement for you today is just simply to pray and ask the Lord to open your eyes, all right, to his presence and his work and his power around you because our strength and our hope is found in Jesus Christ. And again, we'll talk more about these battles and how to prepare for these battles next week. But until then, the last thing is this, that we can stand firm. Here's our hope. You and I, we can stand firm, all right, and experience victory because of what Jesus Christ accomplished for us on the cross. You know, three times in Ephesians 6, uh, 10 through 13, Paul says to stand, right? To stand firm in the hope and in the promises. Look at these words together. See if you can identify those words. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. He says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. See, there's a battle in this world. There's a battle for your life and for your kids' lives and for my life and for our church. But the truth is this. The truth is that we have hope, that we have victory in our Savior, Jesus Christ. And because of his redemptive work on the cross, we get to, get this, we get to fight from the place, the position of victory. And that's a wonderful, wonderful promise. Look at, look at it like this. I, I was reading here recently that this, I just think this is a great example, that after the treaty that ended World War II, at least between the conflict of the United States and, and Japan, uh, even after that treaty was signed, pockets of guerrilla warriors continued to fight on hundreds of islands all throughout the Pacific. The war carried on. For some time, the chaos of war continued. You know, in the same way, the battle rages on today. But the truth for those of us that are in Jesus Christ is that the war has been decided. We win. Like the hope of Scripture, the hope for your life and for mine and for our church, and if you're in Jesus Christ today, is that we win. We have victory in Jesus Christ, and so we have this privilege of fighting and living from the place of victory But until Jesus returns, and he is coming again, and we sang about that just a while ago uh, as we sang the song, How Great Thou Art. But he is coming again, but the battles carry on because Satan is willing to fight even though he knows that his future has been determined. The battle continues then for your life and for your faith and the people that you love. And so what do we do until he comes? The apostle Paul says to stand firm to hold the line, to stand firm and with faith. And we stand firm in the promises of God and we stand firm in the victory that we have on the cross and we do what Jesus did. Because for Jesus, and I don't know if you've thought of this, but for Jesus, the battle was very real. And I think about for Jesus, the agony that he encountered in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before that he was crucified. And because he was fully God and fully man at the same time, we know he was tempted to quit. And the text says that he agonized to the point where he sweat drops of blood. But what did Jesus do to overcome his battle? He prayed. Jesus prayed and he prayed faithfully. We might wonder to ourselves, why in the world did the Son of God pray? Like, why didn't he just speak a word and be done with the conflict? I mean, he's the Son of God, right? But that's why we have to remember that one of the reasons that Jesus came to the earth was also to demonstrate for us how life is to be lived. 
and to be lived faithfully and obediently and courageously. And so when the threat of battle became so great for Jesus, what did he do? He demonstrated for us what it means to stand firm and he prayed. And Jesus prayed and he found the faith to continue praying and standing firm in the promises of God. The band is going to come out right now and lead us in one more song this morning and maybe an opportunity really for you to pray and to declare your faith in God even as we sing together. But maybe one more time and if you put it down, maybe pick it up once again and as you think about this army soldier and maybe for you as it serves as a reminder this week that we are in the midst of an unseen war, more than that, let it be a reminder to you to pray. To pray this week. That by praying, we hold the line. We maintain the ground. We fight back. We push back. We hold on. It's a way of demonstrating that I don't know how I'm going to get through this, but I am putting all of my faith and all of my hope in you as I stand firm in the promises and in the power of God. Let's do that right now. Will you just stand with me together? And I'm going to pray in just a moment, but before I do, um, I want to just read these words together and proclaim them really as a church and as a family today. A proclamation of what we believe, a proclamation of where we're putting our faith and our hope and we're trusting that the Lord is good at his word and that he will pull through and provide all of the help that we need. Let's read these out loud together. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for these words, for these promises today. We thank you for the hope and for the victory that we have in Jesus Christ. Lord, you know every life, every story, every circumstance, every battle taking place involving every person here today in my life included, God. Father, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would increase our faith and hope in you today, that you would push away the powers of darkness in this world, that even now you would open up our eyes to your presence and the victory that we have in you all around us. Give us the faith today to stand firm, to hold the line, to pray, and to put all of our faith and hope and trust in you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.